Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be doing Buddhist chanting to train the mind. Each Wednesday we get together to do either breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, or chanting. We rotate these every three weeks. And then on Sunday, we talk about a chapter in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. And this week, we're on chapter six, which is the middle way, walking the middle way. So each Sunday at 9 p.m. Thai time and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Thai time, we all spend time together as a group to learn the teachings of Gautama Buddha and also to practice them because on Wednesday we're actually practicing meditation or chanting. And of course, we're always practicing the Eightfold Path, which includes right speech and all the other teachings. We're practicing those every day, every moment. But today, because we're in this group learning program and we're at the point where we're covering chapter six and we're discussing the middle way, walking the middle way, I would like to share just a little bit about the middle way with you because a question came up in our Facebook group that I thought would be really helpful to share with the group what the actual answer was to this question. And then right after that, we'll move into the chanting so that you can learn about Buddhist chanting because it's the Buddhist chanting that is part of the training of the mind. So let's just talk a little bit about the middle way, okay? On Sunday, I talked about the middle way in terms of task or activities. I was talking about how if you have a certain task or certain activity like finances or giving to charity or spending time taking care of your personal health and all the other things that we do in life, I talked about how you can bring that to the middle where you don't hold it too tightly and you don't hold it too loosely. So in other words, you don't obsess about your personal health, but you also don't hold it so loosely that you neglect your personal health that you bring that to the middle, that you don't obsess about making gobs and gobs of money, but you don't do nothing to sustain your life either, that you bring that to the middle, that you don't give an enormous amount of money to charity and kind of exhaust your financial resources, but you also don't give nothing to, that you kind of find that middle. So we were talking on Sunday about all these various tasks and topics of how you can move the mind to the middle and you can use this teaching that the Buddha taught about the middle way as a way to kind of guide your life in a very general sense, but you'll find it to be very profound. Well, now that we've had that discussion, I would like to bring in this next piece 
that I shared in our Facebook group today based on a question that somebody had asked me. We were talking about how to find the middle, okay? Where is that middle? And now I related it to something more detailed as opposed to just tasks or topics of generosity and personal health or finances or career. Here in this reply, I was talking about the discontent feelings. Because as you know, on this path to enlightenment, the goal is to reach this enlightened mental state where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And we use breathing mindfulness meditation and other teachings to train the mind to come to the middle and develop singleness of mind, to develop mindfulness, to train the mind to let go of thoughts and ideas and train the mind so that you can then have better control. Well, not only do we train the mind in meditation, but this middle way, you can actually apply it in daily life based on the discontent feelings as well, okay? And here's what I shared with this individual on Facebook when we were talking about this. I shared, where is the middle, okay? What I shared is, if you observe the mind is experiencing sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fears, boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy, resentment, anxiety, stress, etc. Right? Essentially, if the mind is experiencing discontentedness, right? And we can put happiness, excitement, and elation in there as well right? Because it's painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. So any discontentedness, if you observe the mind is experiencing that in daily life, then move the mind to peacefulness, calmness, serenity, and contentedness with joy. This is the middle where the mind is unaffected by discontent feelings. So if you feel the mind moving to sadness, with that training of breathing mindfulness meditation, cut that off and bring it to the middle. Peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. If you feel the mind moving to happiness, excitement, elation, cut that off because that's a conditioned thought or feeling. Cut that off. Don't chase that pleasurable feeling. Cut that off and bring it to the middle. If you feel the mind moving to boredom or loneliness, shyness, displeasure, any kind of feeling that is neither painful nor pleasant, cut that off and bring it to the middle. So here I go on and I share further. I say the mind can reside in the present moment with singleness of mind. So if the mind is in the past, or the mind is in the future. The mind isn't in the present moment. It doesn't have singleness of mind. But by having singleness of mind in the present moment, not dwelling and worrying about the past, not being anxious or wandering into the future, by being in the present moment with singleness of mind, the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. That's enlightenment. As one nears closer and closer to enlightenment through training the mind, the mind will be able to reside there. The mind will be focused, 
concentrated, have deep memorization with clarity of thought and no discontent feelings. And then here's the last paragraph. So, while one is learning and practicing to attain this mental state permanently, anytime you observe the mind is not in the middle, experiencing discontentedness, painful feelings, pleasant feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, actively apply right effort to bring the mind to the middle where it resides only in the present moment, letting go of thoughts, feelings, and emotions that are discontent, bringing the mind to peacefulness, calmness, serenity, and contentedness with joy. So a week and a half ago, we talked about the Eightfold Path. Right effort is where you abandon the unwholesome qualities and you arise wholesome qualities in the mind. That's right effort. So if you're practicing breathing mindfulness meditation in daily life, each day you're training the mind in meditation to let go of the thoughts, bring the mind to the breath, let go, bring the mind to the breath, let go, bring the mind to the breath. Wherever you notice in meditation, the mind has wandered, let it go and bring the mind to the breath. Now you've got more and more control over the mind because you've been training it in meditation. Now you take that from your meditation practice into daily life through practicing the middle way. What you do is wherever you notice the mind becomes discontent or it's starting to become discontent, you cut it off. You let it go. So if you're in daily life, you're trying to work on this unenlightened mind, moving it to enlightenment, you're in daily life, you're driving in the car, you're at work, you're in the middle of a conversation, wherever it is, in the present moment, with singleness of mind, concentration, clarity, and focus, when you're in that present moment and you notice the sadness, or you notice the anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, or fear, this is the painful feelings, when you notice those painful feelings, apply right effort, abandon those, and arise wholesome qualities. Peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Cut off those painful feelings. Likewise, in daily life, when you're noticing the pleasant feelings, and this is going to feel strange to you because you're used to craving those pleasant feelings. You're used to longing for that happiness that excitement, that elation. That's where the mind feels pleasure. And you're used to that. And you're used to kind of chasing that and desiring that and wanting that. But where you see that, cut it off. Bring the mind to the middle where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, not based on any conditions. Then when you see the mind with boredom, loneliness, shyness, any jealousy, resentment, anxiety, stress, any of these discontent feelings that you may consider neither painful nor pleasant, cut those off and bring the mind to the middle. Peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So the meditation is meant to be an active, 
independent, dedicated, purposeful training session of the mind where you're eliminating certain qualities or you're cultivating certain qualities. But the only reason why this is useful is because now you apply that training in daily life to control the mind. So when you feel that hostile word on the tip of your tongue, cut it off. When you feel that bit of frustration starting to rise and you feel the sensation in the body, cut it off. When you feel that happiness, that excitement starting to percolate and the mind wants to run down that path, cut it off. You're sitting at home without anything to do. You feel a bit of loneliness or boredom, or even you're sitting with a group of people and you start feeling lonely or bored. Cut it off. Bring the mind to the middle. Do something else with it. Okay, that's right effort. And that's bringing the mind to the middle. Okay, this is another aspect of how you train the mind to come to the middle. Because in that middle, the mind can perform optimally. Just like that sitar, just like that stringed instrument. If the string is too loose, it doesn't play well. It doesn't feel good. When the string's too loose, it doesn't sound good. The instrument doesn't sound good and your mind doesn't feel good when the string's too loose. But also when the string's too tight, the instrument doesn't play well. And when your mind is too tight and too bound up, it doesn't play well. It doesn't feel right. It's only when the string is tuned perfectly in the middle and you got to tweak it and tweak it and tweak it. And if you've ever watched musicians play, even during their session, even during their playing session, they're constantly tuning their instruments, making sure they're perfectly on pitch, perfectly on tune, right? And that's what you've got to do with the mind. You've got to have such awareness of mind, such a high degree of right mindfulness that you're so aware of the mind that as soon as you feel anger, sadness, frustration, any of these discontent feelings, including happiness, excitement, and elation, you cut it off. You got to retune the mind and bring it to the middle because that's where it will perform optimally. The more you do this in meditation, starting off, building up your meditation practice, but then in daily life, the more you do this, eventually you won't have to do it. Eventually you've trained the mind so well that you're practicing this eightfold path. You've eliminated these 10 fetters. You've meditated so well that eventually there's no effort whatsoever. The mind just permanently resides in the middle. But moving from the unenlightened mind to the enlightened mind, you do need to apply effort. You need to apply effort because you need to awaken the mind. You need to purify the mind. You need to get out of this darkness and move to the light. And that's part of training the mind is in daily life. It's not just in meditation that we train the mind. So I would like to pause here because I feel like this would be helpful for you guys. And I would like to see if you guys have any questions on this before we move into discussing chanting and actually doing chanting today. We have a question from Judith. Do some of the discontent feelings help us see when a situation isn't healthy and we can make it better? Or is there another way without these feelings of discomfort 
like the body needs food, a job is too heavy, etc. Yeah, discontentedness is a great indicator that something's off. It's a great teacher and it's a unbiased teacher because if you're experiencing discontentedness, there is some craving desire attachment that's in the mind. So if you become sad, frustrated, angry, irritated, annoyed, what have you, there's some craving desire attachment there. There's some mental longing with a strong eagerness. If the mind becomes happy, excited, elated, there's some condition that's creating that and the mind is grabbed onto it. The mind has some longing. It has some strong eagerness for that condition. And that's what's caused the happiness, excitement, and elation. And if there's boredom or loneliness or shyness, there's some conditions there that have caused it. So that's a great indicator of something's awry here. Let me fix it. Let me discover what it is. And if you can discover what the craving desire attachment is, then you can work to actively eliminate it. And you may need your teacher's help. Right. I helped Max with something this week that we were spending a lot of time talking and I was like, hey, Max, I think you might have an attachment here, something you might want to consider and look at or however I said it. And then Max is investigating it on his own because he's not going to believe his teacher. And I taught him, don't believe your teacher. Figure it out yourself, independently verify it. So that's what he's doing. So whenever you see discontentedness, whenever you feel it, whenever you observe it, whether it's painful pleasant or neither painful nor pleasant this is an indicator that something's wrong and it's not wrong in a bad way it's not like oh my goodness the sky's falling it just means the mind has some condition that is causing this discontentedness it's craving desire attachment it's some mental longing with a strong eagerness and when you sit back and reflect and investigate that that's why i talked about being alone that sometimes it's really helpful to be alone and really investigate the mind and look at the mind. And you've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to be honest and really reflect and consider whether or not there's actually craving, desire, attachment there, right? Sometimes when people are progressing on this path, they want to be enlightened so bad, they kind of like dust things under the carpet or they put things in the corner. No, 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 I don't have any craving, desire. I'm perfectly peaceful. But in the meantime, their mind is feeling this underlying subtle grumpiness or some kind of discontentedness that they can't really put their finger on where it's much better if you're honest with yourself use that discontentedness as an indicator that there's some craving desire attachment and there may be more than one and if you look at it it's wonderful because then you can find it and address it but if you need help from your teacher that's why i have the facebook group where you can ask questions you can private message me you can schedule a personal session where you can have a private discussion with me. I have that option available too, because this is where the guidance comes in. And I'll never tell you, like Max will tell you, like I never said, Max, you have a craving here. I said, Max, you know, I feel like you might have a craving here. What do you think? And he's investigating and he's figuring it out. So I never give you the answer necessarily. I'm just pointing you in direction for you to investigate yourself because I can't be with you all the time. So what I need to do is I need to teach you how to make really good decisions. I need to teach you how to train your mind. So that personal guidance really comes in hand that I'm not telling you what to do. You're not believing what I'm saying, 
but instead I'm kind of guiding you in how to train your mind and how to figure this out for yourself. Somebody said this recently, I think it might have been Joy or Sue, said that attaining enlightenment is almost like a puzzle. It's almost like a puzzle, like a Rubik's Cube or you know, some other kind of puzzle where you're trying to figure out all the pieces. You're trying to understand the mind and how by taking out craving and replacing it with generosity improves the condition of the mind. By taking out the hatred and anger and replacing it with loving kindness, it improves the condition of the mind. By taking out conceit, arrogance, pride, and ego and replacing that with non-judgment and viewing everyone equally through equanimity, all these different pieces, it's almost like a puzzle. And where your teacher comes into play is I'm helping to guide you how to solve that puzzle because your mind is the same as my mind. Gautama Buddha's mind is the same as our mind. He figured out the puzzle by himself. And that's why he really understood it so well, because he figured out the puzzle by himself. But you need guidance. So that's where a teacher comes into play of helping you see how these puzzle pieces move and shift. But you've got to observe the truth for yourself. You've got to move these pieces around, get rid of the craving, get rid of the anger, get rid of the unknowing of true reality, get rid of the self, get rid of the ego, get rid of all the 10 fetters, right? Bring in this loving kindness, this compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, this generosity, all these other wholesome teachings. You just bring those in and you will gradually see how you're figuring out this puzzle piece by piece. But having that coach or guide is what's really there to help you. So yes, joy. Yes, ma'am. That discontentedness is an indicator and it's one of the best, most unbiased teachers that something's wrong and it can really help you. I'll share this story with you. I was talking with somebody just recently who was at home with their mother and said something that they felt like maybe they shouldn't have said. And then later, as they thought about it and reflected, it started causing a little bit of discontentedness for them. And as they looked at the discontentedness on their own, they were like, hey, you know, this doesn't feel right. You know, I feel like I need to fix this and clean this up with my mother. And that's essentially gamma, right? That guilt or shame, even to the little bit of degree that if you talk bad to mom, even you're just a little bit grumpy or a little bit blunt or a little bit aggressive or to anyone else, not just mom, but to anybody and you walk away and you don't quite feel right with how that conversation went and the mind feels a little bit discontent about that conversation, that's your karma. That's the result of your decisions. Because you didn't practice the five factors of well-spoken speech and you're not going to 100% until you're enlightened, but because you didn't practice those, when you walk away from the conversation, yeah, there's a little bit of discontentedness there. And that's a wonderful indicator that gamma, that result of your decision, the cause or the action was that you talked unkind or you talked blunt or you talked harsh or it wasn't beneficial or you didn't have a mind of loving kindness. That was the cause or the action. And the result is this empty feeling, this guilt, you know, this 
a little bit of shame maybe or whatever, maybe even fear if you walk away from a conversation. That's your gamma, that discontentedness. And that's why by practicing the five factors of well-spoken speech, for example, and all the other steps on the path, by practicing those and seeing how when you do, they result in nothing but wholesome results and wholesome outcomes, this is one of the reasons why the mind is never discontent because every single conversation that you're in, you're just always practicing the five factors of well-spoken speech because now you've trained the mind so well that it becomes natural for you. It's not a chore anymore. When you first start out on this path, all this stuff is a chore. Like I talked about, when you're at the bottom of the mountain, the mountain looks pretty tall. It looks pretty hard to walk up the mountain. But you get halfway up the mountain and you look back and you're like, hey, that wasn't so bad. That was kind of enjoyable. I kind of liked that. This mountain's not so big after all. Hey, I'm getting exercise. I feel good. My lungs, my heart, I'm sweating a little bit. It feels wonderful up here. And then when you get all the way to the top of the mountain, that's where all the fresh air is, right? And it's like, wow, look at this beautiful view. Look at this view. I made it all the way up here on top of the mountain. And you look back and you're like, wow, thank goodness I walked up this mountain. So at the bottom of the mountain and while you're trudging up the mountain, it can feel like a big chore. But eventually you get to the point where it becomes first nature. It's effortless. And then every time you interact with other people, you're just practicing the teachings all along and all your conversations and relationships go marvelous. And this is why you don't have any harshness or aggression or problems coming back at you. But even if somebody did talk harsh to you, once you're in that enlightened mental state, it doesn't bother the mind because there is no self, there is no ego. So even if someone is unkind or unpolite or disrespectful, it doesn't bother you because you know it's their practice and there's no ego there to become discontent, right? There's, no, there's nothing there. All the craving, desire, attachment is gone. All the hatred, anger, and ill will is gone. All the ignorance, delusion, and unknowing of true reality is gone. The self is gone. The ego is gone. And this is why you can reside permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Because you're going around with this wisdom and you're interacting with people in a way that always turns out well. But even if somebody becomes hostile or, or aggressive, then your mind's not affected by it. Okay? So yes, discontentedness is absolutely a great indicator that something's wrong and you should look at that. And you need to investigate that and then work to eliminate the craving, desire, attachment that's causing that discontentedness. Not just the painful feelings, but look at those pleasant feelings too, because oftentimes we ignore those. And this is one of the reasons why a lot of people haven't really attained enlightenment in modern times, because a lot of people are describing enlightenment as happiness. They say enlightenment is ultimate happiness but they're misunderstanding what the Buddha taught as what we're eliminating here. So when you cut off that happiness, excitement, and elation, and you bring the mind to the middle, you're peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. It doesn't mean that you're not so-called happy, right? But that happiness is impermanent. You've got something better than happiness. You've got permanent joy, 
right? Happiness is based on a condition and it's impermanent. Joy, there's no condition. You're just inwardly satisfied, inwardly content, inwardly fulfilled, just permanently joyful. Okay, really good question. Gave me a chance to talk about a lot of different things there. So it seems, David, that a lot of the world's day are pursuing pleasant feelings essentially as a way to try and eliminate painful feelings. And we've talked about how that's a form of discontentedness. And that's the case whether they're practicing any kind of spiritual practice, religion, Buddhism, or nothing at all. It seems to be quite a common trait that we see. It also seems that there are those that pursue painful feelings, perhaps, as a way to try and liberate their mind. And I know that I've done this in the past, and this was also what Gautama Buddha did for a couple of years before his final enlightenment in his ascetic years. So my, my follow-up question here is, is it ever helpful to deliberately put ourselves in painful situations? Painful versus uncomfortable. But before we talk about that, let me add something to what you were just saying. One of the reasons why we have rampant drug and substance abuse in the world is because of what you just mentioned, Max, where people are working to cover up painful feelings through chasing pleasant feelings. And one of the reasons why I know this is because I used to drink alcohol and use drugs. And I know plenty of other people that have, right? And if you've ever done that, you know that's what that's all about, is people are trying to cover up the painful feelings with pleasant feelings, and they're using this substance in order to actually do it. So people getting away from those craving, desire, attachment, those mental longing with strong eagerness for substances that cause heedlessness, which is what we're going to talk about on Sunday, that helps to really address and move the mind closer to enlightenment, okay? So it, does it ever make sense to put the mind into painful situations in order to help it become liberated is kind of what Max is talking about. What I encourage people to do is after you've learned the Four Noble Truths and you really truly understand them and you're practicing it daily, meaning you're never blaming anyone else for anything that's going on in your life. If you're blaming other people for your feelings or you're blaming other people for certain situations and occurrences in your life, things that are happening to you, if you're blaming it on other people, you're not yet practicing the Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths is to fully accept all the discontent feelings and any situation that's happening in your life. Fully accept it and know it's because of your actions or you've caused it, right? So you have to fully understand the Four Noble Truths and practice it. And you're fully practicing the Eightfold Path. You really understand the Eightfold Path, which includes the five precepts. When you fully got those on board, along with meditation, and you've got a really good meditation practice going, that's the real core. That's where any beginning practitioners should really stay in terms of developing your practice. In this program, we're going to go on and I'm going to teach you a whole lot of stuff. But in terms of really developing your solid practice, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Precepts, along with meditation, those are the things that you really need to focus on at the beginning. You develop those really, 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 really well. And what you're going to notice is the mind's going to start moving through these jhanas, Jhanas, there's four jhanas. These jhanas are deep meditative states where the mind almost stands still in meditation. 
And even when you're done meditation, you're still like in a deep, deep, almost like a trance, but not really, right? You're, you're alert, you're conscious, but it's like, whoa, that was like some really deep meditation. It was almost like you were standing on the head of a needle, right? This is what it feels like when you go through the jhanas and you'll feel this bliss, this amazing bliss, okay? So if you focus on the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path of Five Precepts in deep meditation practice, breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation and practicing that in daily life, bringing the mind to the middle, then your mind's gonna move through these jhanas. At that point, that's where you focus on the 10 fetters. You start working on understanding and eliminating the 10 fetters. As you're doing that, that's going to take you from the four jhanas into the four stages of enlightenment. And as you're making your way through these stages of enlightenment, this is the time that I think it is wise to put yourself in some uncomfortable situations or things that you might think in the past were uncomfortable because this is going to make sure you've trained your mind and that you really don't go into this with blinders on because by the time you go through the jhanas and you move into the first couple of stages of enlightenment the mind's going to be feeling quite well and a vast majority of your day and your week and your month is going to be completely without discontentedness right you might go weeks without discontentedness and then boom here comes something right? So in those first few stages of enlightenment, you're going to be getting glimpses of what enlightenment is. Even in the jhanas, you're going to be getting glimpses of what enlightenment is, where for a few hours or for a few days, the mind's completely at peace, but then boom, something happens, okay? So when you start noticing that the amount of time between discontentedness is longer and longer and farther apart, meaning days, weeks, you know, months, this is a good time to put the mind in uncomfortable situations or what could have been uncomfortable based on your past behavior and your past conduct and test it out. So if you don't like being around lots of loud music or lots of crowds, you should put yourself in those situations and test the mind out because enlightenment isn't that you create a bubble for yourself and you block out everybody around you. You feel like it's causing concern or causing problems. That's what the unenlightened mind wants to do. That's why we have hatred and anger and ill will and aversion. We try to create this bubble and we try to live in this bubble, but then the bubble keeps bursting because people keep coming into our life that we end up getting discontent about. So when you're training the mind in this way, you might kind of retreat into solitude and be alone and kind of like not around very many people. Maybe not even around your family. Maybe you don't even have that many friends right now. Maybe you're pretty much alone in this life and you feel that way. That's kind of normal as people progress on this path. The Buddha calls it going into seclusion, right? This is why he went to the forest. And what happens as the mind trains is it kind of retreats from the world and you kind of create this secluded environment. It's like you're going into the forest. Well, in modern times, it probably means staying in your house or staying away from people, right? And then what happens is the mind makes all this progress and you kind of break through and then you start entering into the world and you start doing things with people who aren't even on the path. 
people who have no understanding of the Buddhist teachings at all. Because when you're around a bunch of Buddhist practitioners that are really deeply practicing, ah, it feels like you got enlightened because nothing's going wrong. Everybody's practicing really well. Everybody's practicing right view, right intention, right speech, right action. Wow, this is wonderful. Look at all these Buddhist practitioners here in Thailand, right? feels pretty wonderful. But if you just stay in that bubble, you never know, is it an artificial bubble or is my mind really truly trained to the point that I can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content in any and all situations? So rather than assume that the mind has been trained and that you are enlightened, this is why I share with you, never assume you're enlightened. Never convince yourself you're enlightened. Never assume that the ego is gone. Always operate as if you aren't enlightened and that there is still ego. Because now you can take your mind to a busy coffee shop, to a sporting event where there's lots of people, where there's loud music, all these things, and you can test the mind. Is it still peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy? Or am I annoyed by all this music? Or am I annoyed by all this chatter in the coffee shop? Or am I annoyed being at my mom's house because my mom told me something to do and I don't like it, right? You got to test the mind. And that's where the training really pays off. And you can expose areas of the mind that still needs a little bit of training, right? So you go through with the Four Noble Truths Eightfold Path, five precepts, meditation, you're kind of doing like a rough cleaning, kind of like gradually cleaning everything around the house. Then you go in with the 10 fetters and you get in the corners really deep. But then you kind of test it. You put on the white glove and you go out into spaces where you may think that your mind may or may not be trained. If you've been fearful, for example, of homeless people for one reason or another, if you felt like in the past, you were judgmental of homeless people and you felt fearful around them. Go, test your mind. If you've been fearful of going to uh, the forest, go to the forest. Or if you've been fearful of going out alone, going to the mall alone or going on a travel trip around the country or, or internationally and you thought you would never ever travel alone by yourself ever, Go do that because you've got to test the mind and you've got to see, is this training that I've undertaken, is it really unshakable? Because that's what enlightenment you end up getting to is this unshakable mind. But you're never going to know if it's unshakable if you don't put it in situations where it could be shaken up. So that's where you can put the mind in situations where it might be perceived as uncomfortable or painful or an uncomfortable situation and just see how you practice the teachings during that time. Are you still having loving kindness with these homeless people who are coming up to you asking you for money? And loving kindness doesn't necessarily mean you give everybody money, right? I've had homeless people come up to me before and I haven't given them money. And I've had homeless people that have come to me and I've taken them into restaurants, sat them down and gave them a full course meal, right? I do it based on how they interact with me, <laughs> right? So it's their gamma. If they're polite and they're kind and they come up to me and, you know, yeah, I'll 
treat them well. But if they're really aggressive and nasty and angry, no, they're not getting anything, right? That's their karma. So how does your mind function? And that's why the Buddha never told you exactly what to do. He didn't say every time a homeless person comes to you, give them money, right? That's not what these teachings are about. These teachings are about training the mind to practice these teachings. And sometimes the way to have loving kindness, active goodwill towards all beings is when that grumpy, unpolite person comes up to you is don't give them any money. And that helps to teach them when you're not polite, when you're not friendly, good things don't happen for you, right? So the teachings aren't about always everybody doing exactly the same thing all the time. It's about training the mind and then make sure you test it. The Buddha never really talked, I don't think, about testing the mind, but I do because I found it very useful. One of the things that I did is I went to an environment that was supposed to be very loving, kind, and peaceful, but I knew that there was hate and anger at this environment, and I put myself in that environment, and I observed how I practiced in that environment. It kind of tested my mind. That's just one of the things that I did to kind of test the mind. And you can do the same thing with your meditation. If you're used to meditating in the same place, in the same room all the time, change rooms or go outside, go to a different temple, go to a park and move the mind around because the mind's going to crave permanence. And if you're meditating in the same place all the time, it's going to really get deep meditation in that same place all the time. But if you want to make progress, one of the ways to make progress is really test the mind. So you move the mind to another location and that's gonna test the mind and you try to develop the ability to meditate in that space too. Or like as you're meditating, if a fly comes and lands on your nose or you get a little like itchy sensation on your nose, rather than swat the fly right away or get the fly away, test your mind. See if you can hold your meditation and focus on your breath Why that fly is crawling around on your nose. That's a beautiful way to train the mind and you'll see through that that you can control the mind in all of these situations. So yes, you should put yourself in uncomfortable situations or what might be perceived as uncomfortable. But then once you get there, even if it's uncomfortable when you first get there, just slow the mind down. If you need to close the eyes in order to kind of guard your doorway, close the eyes. If you need to sit down and breathe a little bit and kind of gradually let the mind get comfortable with all this loud music. So even if you enter in and there's lots of loud music and you feel annoyed, don't just leave right away. Like sit down, take your time, close your eyes, just kind of focus on the breath and try to cut off those annoying thoughts and realize that it's not the music. The music isn't what's causing the problem. It's the mind because the mind craves silence. So train the mind for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes to be in the loud music and know that it's impermanent and then get up and leave. Because in these situations, you have complete control over the testing environment, which is beautiful because you can get up and leave at any time. But in a situation where you're in daily life and you're maybe on an airplane and it's you know, a 24-hour flight or a 15-hour flight, you have no control to land that plane, right? You might be able to ask the flight attendant for another seat if something's bothering you, but you have very little control in that environment. 
that's going to test your mind. You're going to be tested by other people throughout your life and in your practice. You're going to be tested. So you're going to need to apply your practice and do well in those situations. But before you even get to those, test your mind yourself in a situation where you have complete control over all the variables because you can get up and leave at any time you want. And this can be very beneficial for you. Right. So this seems very much about the middle way because whilst we're practicing to eliminate the discontent mind, if we're just running away from discontentedness all the time, then we're not really taking control of our progress in that at all. And yet at the same time, if we're just trying to put ourselves through as much pain as possible, then the pain is kind of becoming the point or actually not training ourselves to be free of pain or free of discontentedness. So we can use uncomfortable situations to help eliminate our attachments. Have I got that right? Yes. In situations where I would go into an environment and I feel a little bit of annoying, a little bit uncomfortable, I would stay there just to train my mind to get comfortable. Whether it took five minutes or it took an hour or however long it took, I would stay in that environment until I was sure I had overcome whatever discontentedness I was experiencing in that environment. And then I didn't leave and say, all right, I'm done. I mastered that. I was like, all right, well, let me put my mind in another situation like that. Let me put it in another one and another one until you like wring out the towel and every last drop of water is out of there. Every last little amount of discontentedness is out of there. This is what I talk about as the mind being a home improvement project, right? When you're doing a home improvement project and you're working on your home, you want to make sure that wallpaper is up there really, really nice. Or you want to make sure that paint is done exactly right to perfection because you're going to have to live in this house for a a bit of time and you want to make sure it's been done really, really well. Your mind is your house. This is where you live. The mind is everything. You experience everything through the mind. So rather than kind of like allowing the dust to collect in the corners, get out there after you've learned the Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path, Five Precepts, you're really practicing the meditation really well, you're starting to focus on the fetters, get out there and test the mind and put it in situations where it's uncomfortable. There was a monk one time, I was on a boat, And he was on top of the engine compartment of a boat. This boat is like rocking back and forth, going all over the place. Lots of people crowded in. He's sitting on top of the engine compartment, rumbling, vibrating, really loud, really smelly, right? So we've got all these doorways of discontentedness. One, he was hearing all the sound of all the people. Two, the contact of the engine vibrating. Three, the sound of the engine for the smell of the gasoline from the engine. And he's sitting there trying to meditate on top of this engine compartment. This is testing your mind. Doesn't mean you always go into meditation, but that's what he chose to do. And you know, the boat's rocking and all this kind of stuff. So you're going to be in experiences where you feel uncomfortable. And rather than run or retreat from that, be like, hey, this is an opportunity for me to practice these teachings, guard the doorways, and train the mind to be content here. Because what the mind's gonna want to do is gonna want to retreat. And depending on where you are in your practice, if you're pretty early on and you wanna protect your contentedness and it makes sense to leave, 
go ahead and leave, right? Protect your contentedness. If you're feeling the real anger and you're about to explode, it's better to leave. That's protecting your contentedness. But finding the middle is acknowledging that that created anger for you or that created discontentedness or whatever kind of discontentedness it created. Don't just leave and be done with it and run and retreat and never put the mind in that situation ever again because that's aversion. That's trying to create a bubble for yourself and that's not going to work. So note that, that you retreated from that environment and you did get angry and frustrated, but now put yourself back into that situation over multiple times, multiple situations, until you've observed that it's completely, utterly peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, you've wringed out this rag and there's no more water coming out of it. And that's how you make sure there's no dust in the corner and you've really cleaned out the mind and purified it really, really well. We have a question from Javier. What if we feel itchy while meditating? Do we scratch or do we hold the urge stoically? The best thing to do is just focus on the breath because those sensations that are coming up, they're impermanent and you need to train the mind that it is impermanent. So depending on where you are in your practice, you might be able to do that for five seconds and 10 seconds and then ah, I just got to itch, right? But then the next time it happens, try to go to 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Ah, oh, I just got to itch, right? But focus on the breath. Don't focus on the itch because if you focus on the itch, it's going to itch more right? Focus on the breath and cut off that thought. And then what you'll do is you'll get to this point where you can have mosquitoes and flies run around. Like the nose is very sensitive. Lots of nerve endings in your nose. You can have, you know, bugs and mosquitoes and flies jumping around on your nose and you can still control the mind and not even touch it, right? But you'll never get there that level of control of the mind if you scratch every little itch. So try to control the mind to the point where you can focus on the breath all the time and don't scratch the itch. And if you do end up scratching the itch, then just extend it longer and longer and longer so that you get better and better control over the mind. So this is another way of ensuring that you gain control over the mind is by not scratching the itch during meditation. Manal actually had a slightly similar question. She says, Teacher David, I can understand that a little bit of discomfort is important, that this is one critical part of our practice. Should we, by default, if overcome with discomfort, focus on the breath if it becomes overwhelming as a way to come back to the moment? It depends if we're talking about meditation or in daily life, right? In meditation, always focusing on the breath. Always, 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 always any discomfort in daily life. If you're out and about and let's just say now that I know you have a husband, Manal, let's just say you're out with your husband and you just happen to feel jealous because some woman is talking to him. Right. This is because of craving. Right. This is because of desire. This is attachment to the husband. And you see this kind, beautiful woman talking to your husband and there's some jealousy that comes up rather than go over there and butt into the conversation or rather than storm off to the bathroom or go sit in the car and be angry with your husband later, recognize that this is your jealousy. This is from your attachment. You're craving your desire and try to cut that off. And if it helps you to close the eyes and not see it and focus on the breath, yeah, go ahead and do that. Use that. 
or if you need to just kind of move to another area and just sit there and look at it and get comfortable with seeing your husband talk to another woman and training the mind that this is okay. This is impermanent. He loves you. He's a dedicated husband. He's you know, going to be with you for the rest of his life. And you guys have had kids together, I think. And just train your mind by looking at them. Maybe the first time you can't look. Maybe you close your eyes and you do focus on the breath. But then maybe it happens again and you feel a little bit stronger. The mind has more stability. And maybe this time you just look at them politely and kindly and friendly. And you train the mind to be comfortable with that. And this will help to release that craving if there's any jealousy, for example. So you can focus on the breath at any point if you need to do that. Uh, Let's just say you're feeling shy or uncomfortable going to a new school. You've got classes, it's a new school, and you show up on the first day and anxiety and stress comes over you. Well, maybe you want to sit outside the classroom and just close the eyes and focus on the breath. Or maybe even in the class, you want to close the eyes and focus on the breath. Cut Cut the thoughts. That can be helpful for you. Maybe knowing that you're a shy person and you tend to feel anxiety about showing up to new places, maybe two or three days before class starts, you actually go to that location of the class, you park your car, you get out, you walk around, you go into the building, you look at the classrooms, and you start feeling comfortable with it. So when you come back in a couple days later, the mind has now been trained to be in that environment. And that's how you get comfortable right? So there's all these different ways. This is the home improvement project that you gradually train the mind to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy in any and all situations, being satisfied with what is. Manal has a follow-up comment, says she's trying to overcome shyness by being on Zoom today. Highly uncomfortable, but trying to come back to the breath. Okay, yeah, I saw a bunch of people coming into Zoom. Not a bunch, but I saw a few people come into Zoom when uh, I mentioned for you guys to come in. So, yeah, that's good. See, that's that's right effort, okay? That's right effort, Manal. And that's also right mindfulness because she has awareness of mind that she's shy. She knows that, right? That's awareness of mind. And now she's applying right effort, which is to eliminate unwholesome quality and arise wholesome qualities by coming into Zoom right? That's how you take your training and you move it forward, the training of the mind. The training isn't just in meditation. I've talked about this before, how meditation is one of eight steps. It's just one of eight steps. So essentially, it's about 12% of the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is the entire path to enlightenment. It's 12%, 15%, right? But if you look in the world today, a lot of people think you just meditate your way to enlightenment, that all you got to do is meditate and then everything's going to be wonderful after that. But no, it's things like what Manal is doing by making herself come into the Zoom and getting comfortable with that. And even though you feel a little bit anxious, just focus on the breath and calm down and relax. So this is great training for the mind. And that's why meditation is part of this practice but it's not the entire practice. There's things you you need to do outside of meditation to really move the mind forward and progress it to feel satisfied with what is. Peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Moving the mind into situations where it feels uncomfortable and train it to be comfortable in that environment.
that's moving the mind to the middle. So David, speaking of the middle way, you recently started a new project which you've asked my help with. I was wondering if you might be able to tell us more about this project and why you decided to undertake it. Sure. So in the world of Facebook, there's groups like Daily Wisdom, or I think Daily Wisdom is the only group that's like this, where it's an open group. Anybody can join. It's a public group. And I'm in there teaching. And if anyone else tries to teach, their comment gets deleted. And that's part of the rules. And it's all set up that way. But every once in a while, people don't read those. And we need to delete their comments. So the Daily Wisdom group is kind of like a temple or a classroom where I'm kind of in Daily Wisdom and people ask questions and then I answer them, right? Daily Wisdom is like this temple where there's just one teacher in there and everybody's getting help and seeking guidance, right? And then there's other groups in Facebook where all the members are teaching each other. And this is 99.9% of all the groups and Facebook is where all the members are teaching each other. So you might ask a question and you get 100 or 200 different replies all over the map. And you never know which one is truly the truth or not. And how would you practice 200 different things that people are telling you to determine what's the actual truth or not? It would take you a long time to sort through all that. So that's where daily wisdom comes in that you can go straight to a teacher and you can get guidance from a teacher. But there's a lot of people that are out in these groups where members are all teaching each other. And sometimes it gets pretty hostile and pretty aggressive in those groups because one person thinks they're right and there's ego and hostility and all of that kind of stuff. So that's one of the reasons why I keep Daily Wisdom the way it is, where it's just guidance from a teacher, nobody else teaching. However, I see this need to have a group that's in the middle where it's not just completely learning from a teacher. And it's not just completely a bunch of people haphazardly talking without the five factors of well-spoken speech back and forth to each other through all of this interaction. So I decided to create this new group. It's called Global Buddhism for All Discussion and Learning. So it's Global Buddhism for All dash discussion and learning. This group that I see as being in the middle is one that I set up and I created, but I'm essentially gonna turn it over to Max. And this is a place where we can all have casual conversation. Sure, you're gonna probably have questions about the Buddha or you might wanna share certain things about your practice that you wouldn't necessarily share in Daily Wisdom, but this is a group that you can go into and you can have casual conversation. And I'll talk and Max will talk and Judith will talk and James will talk and we can all just chit chat. So daily wisdom is kind of like inside the temple, inside the temple building where global Buddhism for all is kind of like people standing outside and gathering around and congregating and kind of chit chatting to each other, kind of talking more informally and just kind of various things. So this is a group that is just getting started. What do we got? 21 members now, and we're not even going to really promote it. I'm just telling you guys essentially, and I put some stuff out and let some other people know, but it's just a group to casually talk. This is also a place where as you guys start learning more and more, some of you may have inspiration to teach 
or some of you may have inspiration to share the teachings with other people, this is a place where you can kind of practice articulating the teachings and sharing them with others and kind of putting the words together. So when you're in these classes, when you're in Daily Wisdom, when you're reading the book, listening to the podcast videos, you're learning all the content from me. But this is a place where you can casually talk to each other about the teachings. Because in this class, it's kind of like Max and David are talking and you guys are asking questions, but there's not a lot of back and forth based on the way we do technology. But this group will allow a lot of back and forth and a lot of discussion and you guys can practice right speech. And when somebody disagrees with you or somebody has a different opinion of you, you can train the mind that it's okay for people to have disagreement and you can still talk with them politely, respectfully, kindly, with loving kindness, with compassion and not allow the mind to get frustrated or irritated or angry. So this is a, a group that I see that's in the middle, that it's not all these people haphazardly talking to each other and being hostile and aggressive, kind of like out in the wild jungle in the forest, but it's also not like daily wisdom where it's just student asking teacher a question, teacher replying, student asking another question, teacher replying. This is a group where we can mix it up a bit and we can have some informal conversation and talk about the teachings, of course, but talk about various aspects that maybe you wouldn't necessarily talk about in Daily Wisdom. And I asked Max to kind of be the administrator for this. And then as the group grows, I've asked him to see if there's anybody that would like to be a moderator. So for example, like if James or other people wanted to become a moderator, where you're in there talking and sharing thoughts as well. But also, if you see somebody say something that's not right speech and they're aggressive and they're hostile, you can just delete the comment because you understand what right speech is because most of the people in there initially will be from Daily Wisdom. But over time, more and more people will be in there from all these other groups and they haven't necessarily trained in the Buddhist teachings the way you are. So Max and a team of moderators can kind of have this as like a student project where you guys use it as almost like a student forum. That's almost a, a, another way to think about this is where daily wisdom is like the classroom. This is like a student forum for all the students to participate. Sure, the teacher is going to pop his head in every once in a while and see what's going on and share a little thing here and there. But this is kind of more for the students, kind of like a student forum. And I think it's a great opportunity for people like Max and others who would like to start teaching to come in here and start teaching and sharing some of the teachings just on, on a real kind of beginning level and then give you guys a chance to chat with each other and get to know each other and conversate with each other in a more informal way. Thanks, David. Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefit that can come from this and a real need because, like you say, a lot of groups are essentially people trying to teach each other and often maybe not practicing right speech all the time or not practicing go to Buddha's original teachings all the time. And often they are, and predominantly they are, but of course, to someone who's new, they don't know necessarily what's working or what isn't and maybe sent off in the wrong direction. So I'm hoping that with this, we can actually produce something that's a really useful, helpful hotbed for people to come into and see 
how these teachings are practiced, as well as learn and acquire teachings and ask questions, but also see it in action as well. So glad to be part of it. Thank you. And if anyone is interested in moderating it down the line, please get in touch with myself or David. Yeah, I think it'll be a great addition to our community because Daily Wisdom has been around for two years. This month, it marks the, the two-year mark for Daily Wisdom. And now I see this need for more informal discussion. And had I thought about it, I might have named it, you know, Daily Wisdom Student Forum because that's essentially, you know, what it is. But it's more than just people who are learning with me. We want to invite other people from other places who are learning other things and they can come in here. So I think this name is probably more appropriate, although we always have the flexibility to change it because the name of Facebook groups are impermanent. But uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting project to see how it gets used. And I would like to invite you guys, if you're not already a member, that you can go into Facebook and you can pull this up, Global Buddhism for All, Discussion and Learning, and you can join it and we'll be in there talking informally, where Daily Wisdom will be kind of more of that formal environment where we've got the group learning program going on and consistent teaching happening, where this is more of kind of an informal discussion and give you a chance to kind of articulate some of the teachings and ask questions maybe in a, in a different way or maybe even share some of what you know with some other people. And there's already see there's some people joining it, just created this the other day. So there's some people coming in there. So yeah, let's see how it works out. And I think it'll be a great addition to what we're able to do because one of the big challenges in the world is, you know, it's great that we learn these Buddhist teachings, but as you know, the online world can be pretty hostile. There can be a lot of aggression in the online world. So what I hope that this new group will become is a place where people can learn how to interact online in a very loving, kind, compassionate, friendly, respectful way, right? This can be kind of like an environment where people learn how to truly practice these teachings, not just in daily life, outside with your friends and family, but online too. Because while Buddha called this right speech, it's really like right communication. Right. Because nowadays, yes, we speak, but we also have email. We have private message. We have text chat. We have posting online. We have all these different methods of communication that didn't exist during the lifetime of the Buddha. But those teachings of right speech translate over into the online world. But a lot of people struggle with how to apply right speech in an online world. So what this is going to do is it's going to allow people to practice right speech online with a little bit of guidance from people like me and Max and others who are kind of around just to kind of see if somebody is not practicing right speech. And if they aren't, then we just delete the comment and we check off the rule that shows them that they're not practicing right speech. And then they know, okay, I need to look into that and I need to improve my practice. So it can be a great little place to communicate and learn and train the mind how to practice right speech online. Another nice thing about this group as well will be that everyone will have the opportunity to share things. So provided that it meets the group rules and it is relevant to the group and that it is the teachings of the Buddha, anyone can share a post. Uh, and the idea of daily wisdom is that people can come in and ask questions of David and get David's guidance. 
But with this, you can share anything, a nice image, provided that it also has some useful teaching that is from the Buddha. So it's a much more open forum and it's designed to encourage everyone to come together and discuss and learn. Yeah, one of the things that I do in Daily Wisdom is I limit it just to the teachings in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. So if somebody were to post some sutra from somewhere else that's not part of these teachings, that would just get deleted in Daily Wisdom. Where here in this group, already today, we've had somebody post something from somewhere else and said, hey, David, I want to get your thoughts on this sutra or this teaching. You know, how do you interpret this? How do you practice this kind of thing? So, you know, I just let it go in and answered the question right here because daily wisdom is for people who really just want to stay focused on learning and practicing these teachings from developing a life practice. And that might be where you want to stay because not everybody needs to come into this group, right? Because sometimes it's good to to not have a lot of online time. And just if you are going to go online, you really want to keep it targeted just to learning the core teachings of the Buddha with a teacher. You may not be interested in interacting with people right now, and that's okay. That's where your practice is, and that's completely fine. So you stay in daily wisdom. But if you feel like you kind of want to venture out of the bubble a little bit and kind of try a little something, then that's where this group will come in and give you a chance to venture out a little bit. Thank you, David. We have no questions this time. Okay. So let's go into the chanting then for all of you guys that are here to learn some chanting. The chanting is what we've been doing in our previous sessions where you're learning these three chants, the Arhang Samma Samputasa, which is the triple gem, the triple jewel, or the Natmo Tasa, Pakawato Arahato Samma Samputasa, or the Itipiso Pakawa Arahang Samma Samputasa. There's these three chants that I've been teaching as part of this group learning program. And in this particular restart of the group learning program, We've only done chanting once so far. This is the second time. But some of the students who are studying in this restart of the group learning program have actually studied chanting with me several times in the past in the previous group learning program. And one of the things that I did in that program, which I think can be really helpful here, is to do some individual coaching, uh, some individual guidance where people who are in Zoom, you guys can actually chant and we can all hear you because we'll have you take yourself off mute. And then I'll give you some guidance to help you. And then those of you guys who have a little bit less confidence, you can hear other people making mistakes and not maybe necessarily doing it exactly, you know, beautifully or whatever. And you can see that they're working at it. They're progressing. They're getting better and better. And this is a great way to eliminate shyness, right? If you're afraid or fearful of maybe getting some coaching by the teacher or chanting in front of everybody in class. This can be a way that you can apply right effort and get over some of that shyness. And maybe it feels uncomfortable at first for the first five or 10 minutes, but then it's impermanent and it's over and different people will try. So in our last time I did this, there was quite a few people who actually volunteered and did some chanting. So I would like to kind of reach out to you guys and say, who would like to practice? We've got some different people here in Zoom and 
if there's anyone listening out in Facebook or YouTube, if you want to look at the login credentials in Zoom in your little comment section there, you can actually come into Zoom and get some personal guidance here with coaching on chanting. So I'm not going to go through and teach these today. I'm just going to have people like Max and others practice. We'll listen to it and then you'll get a chance to get some feedback. But let me just go through it once on my own so you guys can kind of hear me doing it. And then we can have Max and others to kind of do it as well. And this will kind of help you along to practice. Okay. Because remember, everyone's practicing. You guys aren't perfect yet. So here we go. If you want to practice a little bit with the mute off, this is a good time to do that. And then we'll turn the, let you guys individually turn your mics on and get some help. Okay, so here we go. Nice deep breath in. So there you have it, all three chants, okay? Now, when we talked class before, I talked about how these chants are really to lead you into meditation. It's to set up mindfulness in front of you. It's to start helping you become aware of the mind, 
aware of the breath, and kind of lead the mind and ease it into meditation. It's a way of paying respect to the elders. It's a way of building concentration and memory, awareness of the breath and awareness of the mind. One of the other things that I haven't mentioned yet in any of these classes is it also helps to kind of slow the mind down prior to meditation. That's what it means to set up mindfulness in front of you. If you were to come in and just plop down and start meditating, oftentimes the mind is really busy. It's really active and it doesn't want to sit down and actually meditate. So by hearing that chanting and just kind of slowing the mind down, notice we didn't go through that really fast. We didn't go through it really quickly just to show how you know, great I can memorize these teachings or memorize these chants. We took our time. We progressed through it nice and easy. This helps to slow the mind down each time prior to meditation. And then you get more benefit out of the mind because the mind is more focused, more concentrated, and it's been slowed down, has more mindfulness, more awareness of breath. And when you come out of meditation, it helps to ease the mind out of meditation. There is no special powers in these words. There is no prayer here. There is no asking for any benefit. Gautama Buddha died. He's dead. He shared his teachings. He's not helping us with anything at this point. He did his work. He's resting in peace, wherever, whatever is going on, right? We don't know. He didn't tell us what happens next. So these chants are to get the benefit for the mind, training the mind, okay? So that's what we're doing here when I'm coaching you is helping you to get these benefits. So if I have you slow your tempo down or have you uh, change a pronunciation here or there, it's helping you build that concentration, that memory, and kind of helping you slow the mind down maybe, depending on how your tone or your tempo is going. So there's no necessarily right or wrong, so to speak. It's more about kind of fine-tuning that sitar, those strings. What I'm doing as your teacher is helping to tune those strings and bring the mind to the middle with this chanting. So with that said, who would like to go first? Well, David, I know that you coached me last time we did this, but give it a try and maybe chip away at what's left. Sure, sure. Let's see what you got, Max. You're, okay. usu you're usually the, the, the class leader, right? You're, like, uh, you're the one everybody probably expected to volunteer first. <laughs> right. Well, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'll, I'll get it, get it moving, and um, maybe someone else will be willing to go after me. Yeah. Should I go with the triple gem? Yeah. You want to start with or the triple gem? The okay. Let's do the triple gem. Okay. Let's go, Max. Let's see what you got. Everybody, turn your recorders on. Okay. <laughs> Sawakato Supatipano ambakawato sahawaka sahanko 
Sankang Namahami. Max, way to go. Good job, buddy. I see Thank other people clapping much. too. Yeah. <laughs> that was that. wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. That's remarkably different than where you were when we did this before. So right. that's absolutely wonderful. There's only mm -hmm. one suggestion I got for you. Um, when you're breathing, rather than breathe through the mouth because you're taking a big gulp of air, breathe through mm -hmm. the nose. And mm -hmm. if you need to take a slower breath, it's okay. But rather than take that big gulp from the mouth, start breathing through the mm -hmm. nose because that's what you're going to do in meditation. Mm. So let's try it again and try to breathe yeah. through the nose. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing I've noticed actually on that point is sometimes I can cause myself to yawn, I think, because I'm maybe breathing too much. Yes. Yeah. And so, this will actually help. yeah, work on just taking in the air that you need, not kind of like gasping for air and thinking that you're going to run out. Just when I'm teaching, I'm usually like, and then I'm like, take a deep breath. <gasps> you know, like I'll emphasize it because I want everybody to hear it. But when mm -hmm. I actually practice, I breathe through the nose. When I'm teaching, I'll kind of emphasize it with my mouth because I, I want everyone to hear me breathing. But when I actually practice, I do it through the nose. All right. Mm -hmm. All right, let's give it a go. Okay. <clears throat> Just relax your mind. So before you start, just relax, feel, don't feel like you're under any pressure, or any stress, just kind of relax and kind of settle in. You're not performing for anybody. You're just kind of in the room by yourself, getting ready to meditate with your eyes closed. No one's listening, it's just you. And just relax and now go whenever you're ready. Arahang sama samputo ambakawa Potang bakawantang apiwate mi Sawakato ambakawata hatamo Tamang namasahami Supatipano ambakawato Sahawakasahanko Sankang namahami Very good, Max. Very good. I think the tone was even Thank better. You. I think the tone was even better that time. The first time right. I could tell you're you were kind of in your upper register, not that we're trying to, you know, record a Billboard's yeah. best hits here or anything, right. but I could tell you were in your upper register, maybe feeling a little bit more uh, anxious or stressed. But this time mm -hmm. it felt like you kind of settled into it a little bit and you mm -hmm. were breathing through the nose. And of course, there at the end, you went back to the mouth just because the mind needs gradual training. Just because you heard me say breathe through the nose doesn't mean you're going to instantly be able to do it. Because remember, the mind craves permanence. The mind always wants to hold on to whatever it was just holding on to. So even though the first two phrases, you breathe through the nose, that last phrase, you breathe through the mouth. And that was just because the mind needs that gradual training. 
But now that you know to breathe through the nose, you can do that on your future chanting when you're doing this at home and doing it by yourself. That's great. Thank so, you. Yeah, yeah, I noticed immediate improvement on the second time breathing through the nose, maybe not forcing it out quite so hard after breathing through the mouth. And also just working to relax the mind a little bit. I think just, just finding the middle actually seems to help that come out a lot more easily. Yeah, you see, more, you see more relaxed. You probably uh, felt better doing it the second time. You weren't thinking about the thousands of people that are hearing you uh, on the podcast yeah. and Facebook and YouTube. Right. <laughs> this is all great training, right? It's all, this is all great uh, putting the mind through uncomfortable situations. Yeah, just pretend like you're in your room by yourself. You know, nobody's judging you. Everybody here is just looking to help you. Thank you very much. All right, who's next? Oh, All right. James, James, new contestant. Come on down. The price is right. <laughs> Arahang Sama Samputo Pakawa Utang Pakawa Nang Apiwa Te Mi so a kato pakawatsa damo damang namasami supatipano pakawato sawakasango sangang namami Wow, good job, James. Way to go. You got some good acoustics going on there in South Carolina, buddy. That was so, so, so much better than the last time you did this because James has been in the program since before. And I could tell last time you were very apprehensive, a little bit nervous, probably shy. This time, lots of confidence, you know, lots of good acoustics. You're getting down there and even harmonizing. You hear how his voice kind of dropped down like damo, like really kind of pushing the air out. Very, very, very good. One thing for you is it sounds like the last part of each phrase, you're not as smooth. At the beginning, you kind of enter into the phrase really smooth, but then you kind of get a little bit apprehensive toward the end of the phrase. Try to smooth that out a little bit. Do you know what I'm talking about? Exactly, yeah. I've noticed that a bit, so I'm going to have to... Um on that. Yeah, let's try it again. Let's get some get some uh, more coaching, get some more improvement right away. Araham sama samputo pakawa Puntang pakawanang apiwate mi Sawakata Sawakato Pakawata Damo Damang Namasami Supatipano Pakawato Sawakasanko better did you guys hear that he improved already already yeah everybody's clapping i see it everybody's got mute on but they're all clapping 
Really good, James. You smooth that out pretty good, but keep working on that. Keep working on smoothing that out. Okay, really, really good job. Both of you guys, Max and James, wonderful. All right. Yeah. I think I benefited from um, when you're teaching um, Max too, because sometimes the, the breathing can be, um, you know, challenging. So using the um, breathing in through the nose is, is really helpful, I think. And um, I kind of tried to incorporate that too. Ah, wise decision. Let Max go first, get some coaching, and then James benefits from that. Oh, what a wise decision. Oh. <laughs> All right, who's next? Good job, James and Max. Great stuff, James. Thank you very much for stepping up. Really good. Namo Tessapakarato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namo Tessa Pakarato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namo Tessa Pakarato Arahato very nice james that's really nice compared to where you were before you've really improved so that shows that you've been practicing very nice congratulations of course the buddhist teachings are not to feel prideful right so nobody's feeling any pride <laughs> james is just like yep okay on to the next thing yep that's exactly what you want to feel when you know, you don't want to go into that excitement and elation. Wow, the teacher's giving me high marks. Look at me. Uh, hey, wife, come in here. Look, my teacher's talking good about me, right? That's pride. You don't want to feel that pride. Just, yep, in the middle, right? Good job. All right, Max, or somebody else. If somebody else wants to go, you guys are all welcome to, to try. This is an easy one. This is the first one. This is the one that I that you teach your three, four, five, six-year-old kid. So even if you guys haven't practiced this one at all, feel free to do it, right? Just because Max and James have some more experience, don't feel like if you practice that, you know, we're all gonna be judging you and looking down on you or whatever. Just jump in there, even if you've never chanted this ever in your life. Come on, let's try. Just like your five, six-year-old kid. This is the one that I started with. Okay, so anybody can volunteer. Let's go with you, Max, while everyone else thinks about it. Okay, and after that, I can see that Javier's hand is raised. So. Oh, Javier's, okay. We can go to Javier. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't see. Javier first. Yeah, I didn't see Javier's hand. Let's go to Javier oh, first. He's put it down again. <laughs> put it down again. I'm welcome to go first, Javier, I don't mind. Okay, go, go Max, and then maybe okay. Javier will okay. do it. Namo tasa pakawato Arahato samma samputasa Namo tasa pakawato Arahato samma samputasa Namo tasa pakawato Arahato Samma Samputasa. 
Very nice. Very good, Max. Very nice. Thank you. After everybody practices this one, maybe we'll try to take everyone off mute and try to do it together and see how Zoom handles that. We've never tried it. We've assumed that it doesn't work, but we don't want to believe anything here. So after we have a chance for everyone to practice, let's just take everyone off mute and we'll just go for it and see what happens. Let's test it out. Let's let's see the truth so we'll have more wisdom. Is Javier going? No? Just checking with Javier. I'm not sure. It's, sometimes uh, you, can pr you can raise hand, but oh, he is up for it. Okay, he's just confirmed. Okay. Great stuff. All right, Javier, I'm going to unmute you now. And over to you. South America. We went from South Carolina to South UK and now to South America. Yes. Well, uh, let me go. <laughs> Como esta? Namo. Muy bien. Namo tasa fagawato. Arahato Sama Sampurasa Namo Tasa Sagawato Arahato Sama Sampurasa Namo Tasa Sagawato Arahato Sama Sampurasa very nice, Javier. For three weeks, that's really, really good. I can tell you're still getting kind of comfortable with the memorization of the words, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's really good for three weeks. That's better than I did after just three weeks. <laughs> I couldn't even memorize the words for after three weeks. You've got them all memorized. So that's really good. Excellent. Big, big round of applause for Javier. Wonderful job. Thank you. Yes, we're all clapping. You can't hear because everyone's on mute. All right. Anybody else? All right. So let's do this then. Rather than assuming anything, let's test this. Let's do independent verification. Anybody who wants to chant, take yourself off a of mute. So Max is off a of mute. James is off a of mute. Javier is definitely going to be off a of mute. All the rest of you guys. Take yourself off a of mute. We're all going to chant together. Let's see how this works. Even if it, even if Zoom blows up, let's just forget about the impermanence and just keep on chanting. Okay, we got everyone off a of mute. Yeah, pretty much everyone came off mute. Linda and Chatel are still on mute. Maybe they're in an environment where they can't take us off mute, um, or they can't take themselves off mute. Well, they may not even be able to chant in the environment that they're in. So, all right. So the vast majority of you guys are off mute. Let's do this one together. Take a nice deep breath. Inhale. Together. Nap more, her sap, hacker, wato, 
Okay, just like I thought. <laughs> it's not going to sync up over Zoom. <laughs> so we tested it, right? We didn't assume. We didn't just believe that it didn't work. Why believe that it doesn't work, right? Let's test it, right? There's no harm in testing something. So just like we thought, it's not going to sync up over the internet. So someday, when we're all in the same room together, you're all in the, here in Chiang Mai, or I come to South Carolina, or we all go to Max's house in the UK, then we'll all chant together and it'll harmonize. But now we tested it and we see that it definitely doesn't work to harmonize over Zoom. All right. I'm glad we tried. Yeah, I'm glad we tried too. Right? No harm in trying. Why not? Absolutely. Why do we have to be shy? Nothing has to be perfect here. All right, let's go to the next one. Let's go to the ETP so. Who would like to try the ETP so? Shall I start with this one? Sure, Max, go for it. ETP so Ambakawa Arahang Samma Samputo very nice, Max. This is a pretty challenging one, so I can tell you've been practicing. Very nice. Very, very nice. The tone, the tempo, the pace, everything's really, really good. Um, one thing to think about is when I was learning how to chant, I was also learning how to play a musical instrument at that time. So I was using um, a metronome, you know, the metronome. Yes. It's got the consistent beat. So if you want to kind of build your, your tempo to be nice and smooth, one thing you can think about is like a metronome. So it's like, hold on, we got to slow the metronome down. <laughs> there we go. Right? So you can kind of like really even out because one of the things I notice is like a couple of the words or like especially like the first phrase. I think you nailed the words, the tempo, the tone, everything was like exactly wonderful. And then when you got into some of the other ones, you might have hurried up on a couple of syllables and you might have actually slowed down on a couple of syllables where you kind of want it to be the same tempo even over the whole chant. And this is evening out the tone and tempo and bringing the mind to the middle. The more you bring the mind to the middle, you'll be able to chant this in a nice even tone all the way through with a nice steady tempo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Nice idea. I'll give that a try. Yeah, let's try that again. See how it goes. Okay. 
Sama Samputo Wicca Caranan Sampono Sakato Rohoka Witu Anuhu Telo Purisa Dhamma Sati Sata Tawa Manuhu Sanan yeah very nice that's the way max yeah you nailed that yeah and this is really i, I, like, I slowed down a bit on the, on the second and third phrase i noticed that yeah that that was wonderful great modifications and this is actually amazing that you guys are practicing by yourselves in getting this i don't know if you listen to me doing it while you're practicing or not but Typically, the way most people learn these is within a group setting, which is easier because you've got 100, 200 people around you chanting. So you can kind of blend in with everybody and you can kind of refine your chanting really easily if you're in a group of 100 or 200 people. But by you being at home, you don't really have anybody around you. You're just kind of doing it on your own. It's kind of like if you're playing guitar by yourself, you would actually learn better if you had four or five other guitar players around you who are actually playing really well, you can just pick up and go along with them. Whereas if you're at home by yourself, it's a little bit harder. So the fact that you and James are doing this well, and Javier too, actually, Javier did really, really well. The fact that you guys are doing this well, doing this on your own, it's really shows that you're dedicating time to practicing it. So this is wonderful. All right, James, you want to give this one a try? Iti piso pakoa arahang sama samputo wichacharanang sampuno sakatoro gawitu anu tero purisa dama nice very good james very very good so you guys are really making some good progress and just to clue you guys in on something else is even though like deep practitioners of buddhist teachings will be able to chant these and chant them really really well the average thai person here in thailand they're not practicing these on a regular basis. So you guys learning this ETP so chant, while it's common among people who are practicing the teachings really, really deeply, among the average Thai person that lives in Thailand, they're not learning and chanting these regularly. They're just practicing the Eightfold Path. If people go to the temple regularly and participate with the monks regularly, the lay people are going to learn to chant these and they're going to chant them really well but there's only a certain segment of the population that actually does that so this is wonderful that you guys are spending time to learn this and make it part of your practice what about javier you want to try this one javier you can take yourself off mute and give it a shot no answer from javier maybe you went to the bat there he comes no no i i just learned the the namo design i never practiced the, the other okay all right, so you stick with uh, the you stick with the Namotasa yeah. then. Yeah, I need to learn the, the rest. 
Okay, good, good. So now you, you. that now that you've got the namotasa pretty good, you got it down pretty good. Keep practicing that one, and now add in the arhang sama samputasa, right? Because that was part of the guidance I gave three weeks ago. Is if you wanted to start with just one, start with the namotasa, and then once you get that one, move into the arhang sama samputasa. And then once you get that one, move into the ETP so because this one's a little bit more challenging. This is more like an intermediate. For an, a lay practitioner, this is or a householder, this is almost like kind of like an advanced chant, right? So uh, this is really good that you guys are practicing these. All right. Is there anyone else who would like to either practice their chanting and get some coaching? Or are there any questions? about the chanting or the middle way or anything that you guys are coming across in your day-to-day -day life that you would like to ask questions related to the teachings and how to implement them into your life. I'd like to ask Dave about the chanting. So when I've heard other people chanting this, if I've listened to other podcasts or watched other videos or things like this, it's invariably different. Right? There'd always be a different tempo, different tonality, these kinds of things. Is there kind of a right way to do it? And if so, how do we know that? How has it been kept over the over the millennia and maintained in that way? So just interested to know your thoughts on that. Sure. So Max is getting ready to start doing a little bit of teaching inside of this Facebook group. So let's ask Max a question. Is there a permanent way to chant these? Certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no permanent way, right? There's no one fixed there's no wet, one fixed way to do this. So everybody will chant them a little bit differently. But what will end up happening is you'll have a temple community, like say the temple, if there's a temple here, like in my backyard, right? Then all the people who go to that temple will kind of learn the way that the master monk does it at that temple. And people in this community will tend to chant it that way. And if you go into Buddhist communities, there tends to be a fairly similar way amongst all the Thai people that they tend to kind of chant these. And then if you go into like Sri Lanka, there tends to be kind of a way that they chant them there with a little bit of regional dialect. If you go into kind of Theravada temples in India, they're all chanting the same Pali words, but there's just a little bit of a slight variation. One thing that I would point out, though, is when you go into these temple communities, it's oftentimes the monks who are really, really, really refined in their chanting. I mean, super refined in their chanting. And the lay people are just kind of like going through it just a little bit and not really putting a whole lot of effort into it. When I used to go to the temple communities and I used to lead a large group of people back in America, I always put a lot of effort and dedication to it to the point where I would just try to emulate what the monks were doing as close as I could. So when I chant and you hear me chanting, a lot of people would say I chant very much like a monk because I've put a lot of effort and dedication to try to chant more and more refined, more and more dedicated practice. Sometimes you go in and you'll hear lay people say this one, like Namotasa, they'll say Namotasa. Pakawato Adahato Sama Samputasa 
right? They're not really chanting it. Where when the monks really get wound up, it's where a lot of times the lay people can almost be talking the chant where the monks are just really like pushing the harmonies and all of them chanting together so depending on what recordings you've heard you might even hear some monks particularly Western monks, they'll do the Namotasa before they start their Dhamma talks. And it's almost like they're talking it. They're not even really chanting it. But, you know, to really come with that self-confidence, to really come with getting the air moving, getting the mindfulness going, really dedicating yourself to the practice, really put some thought into how you guys are chanting. And it's obvious that you guys have um, the way that you guys are practicing here today. And the more you get blended into a temple community, it'll be better for you to do that because you'll have lots of people who will be chanting together and you'll kind of see how we all chanted together because every Thai temple that I've ever gone to, my chanting style and the way that I chant, it blends right in with the Thai people. And I haven't really seen any variation amongst Thai temples because we all kind of chant generally the same. But when I look at Sri Lankan chanting or even people from India chanting in Pali, they will all chant a little bit different. Um, so for me, what I'm teaching you guys is based on my experiences in the Thai tradition. Go ahead. But I wouldn't necessarily call that the right way, right? Because that would be kind of arrogant and egotistical of me to think that this is the right way so this is just the thai way the the, the way that we do it in the thai tradition okay sure thank you for that and it appears we have no more questions this time okay so this was definitely a different kind of class right that than what we have been doing in the past where we've actually spent some time to kind of chat a little bit informally kind of joke around a little bit and you guys can see that yeah you know the buddha didn't just sit on some mountain of sand somewhere and uh kind of order people what to do in teaching that these teachings are meant to enjoy meant to be fun that's what life's about so when we talk about eliminating painful feelings pleasant feelings feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant and you hear that part of what we're eliminating is this happiness, excitement, and elation. Don't think that you can't have fun, right? Don't think that you can't joke around, right? Don't think that you can't, you know, cut it up with your friends. What it is, is you don't want your mind pulling in that direction. You don't want your mind latching onto this condition that it's only feeling joy when you're cutting it up with your friends, right? And you can have fun, you can joke. If you ever come to Thailand, you're going to connect through an international airport. Unless you go out of California, you're going to connect somewhere. There's no direct flight straight to Thailand. One of the ways that you know that you're getting close to your connected gate, if you're in Korea or Japan or China, wherever you connect through, is as you're walking through the airport, you're going to know you're getting closer and closer to your gate because you're going to see Thai people collected around there laughing and joking 
because Thai people are connecting in from all over the world as well. And they're going to the same gate that you're going to that goes to Chiang Mai or that goes to Bangkok. And one of the ways that you know you're getting close to your gate, you're going to see a bunch of Thai people sitting around joking, smiling, having fun, sharing food, talking to each other, you know, smiling and all this good stuff. So learning and practicing these teachings, oftentimes you see all these really somber pictures of the Buddha deep in meditation with his eyes closed, maybe a little bit of a smile, right? Very rarely do people picture a Buddha laughing, joking, having fun, you know, uh, but think about it. Think about this guy that we refer to as Gautama Buddha, who they refer to as aesthetic Gautama or master teacher Gautama. Here's this man who steps down from the royal family. He leaves his royal throne and he steps down to the commoner, shaves his head, starts wearing rags for clothes. Well, do you think people just immediately accepted him? No, right? Here he is, shaved head, wearing rags as robes, stepping down. I bet there was probably quite a few people that were kind of looking at him and kind of arrogant that, you know, we kind of think that maybe everybody during the Buddha's lifetime must have absolutely loved him and must have come to him and just been so enamored by him. But in his kingdom and around the places that he was teaching, there were people that disagreed with him. There were people who argued. There were people who got hostile with the Buddha. There was actually one story of a man who tried to kill him, right? During the Buddha's lifetime. So these kind of depiction or this perception that we have in the mind that a Buddha maybe sits in a temple and just meditates all day or sits on a mountain and just kind of tells everyone what to do. This isn't what a Buddha does. A Buddha needs to interact with the people. A Buddha needs to spend time with the people and understanding the same struggles and the same things that they're actually involved in on a day-to-day -day basis. That person needs to be polite, needs to be kind, needs to be respectful, but also needs to kind of blend in with the local community. And if this guy is just walking around super serious all the time with a really somber look on his face, who wants to hang out with that guy, right? That's not what Gautama Buddha did. In order for Gautama Buddha 2,500 years ago to convince people to learn and practice his teachings, we know he didn't use guilt. He didn't use fear. He didn't use shame to motivate people to learn his teachings because that's exactly what he's teaching people to get rid of. So he didn't use that in order to motivate people to learn and practice his teachings. So what did he use? Well, charisma, right? Politeness, respect, kindness. By being kind with people, by being polite with people, by being respectful to people, people are more interested to spend time with you and be around you. This is the natural law of karma. That's why we teach you in the Buddhist teachings to be polite, friendly, kind, caring, loving, compassionate, respectful, right? Because people are going to enjoy being around you. They're going to have deeper personal relationships and deeper professional relationships. Well, this Buddha, he also told jokes. 
He also told jokes, right? He says right in his teachings, he says, tells his son in his teachings that we, even when he tells a joke, he doesn't tell a lie, right? We look at these monks with shaved heads and wearing these orange robes and walking around, oftentimes barefoot. People get really somber around them, right? That's holding things too tight. That's not being in the middle. That's holding things too tight. So if we walk around super somber all the time, that's too tight. And if we walk around really loose, loose-tongued, loose-lipped, that's too loose. The middle is where we're looking to reside. And in the middle, we can be joyful, we can be calm, we can be serene, we can be content, and we can be joyful. We can have fun, we can joke, we can laugh, right? So bringing the mind to the middle isn't being somber all the time, isn't being uptight, and it's not being real loose. It's being right there in the middle, having fun, enjoying life. Sure, we're giving up killing. Sure, we're giving up stealing. We're giving up sexual misconduct. We're giving up lying. We're giving up substances that cause heedlessness. Giving up alcohol, giving up drugs. We don't need that stuff. We can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy without any of that stuff. Well, how do you do that? Have fun. So, have fun this week. I usually tell you to show love, care, compassion, friendliness, kindness, respectfulness. Yeah, we still got to do all of that. Do all of that with all the people around you. But also, just have fun. Lighten up. Bring the mind to the middle. Don't be so tight. Don't be so loose. Bring the mind to the metal. Lighten up. Have some fun. So until next time, have a really wonderful rest of your day. Have a wonderful rest of your week. On Sunday, we're going to be studying the five precepts. We're going to be diving into some deep teachings. So enjoy the rest of your week, and I'll see you guys on Sunday at 9 o'clock. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.